In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Pray with me. Father, what a story. And the best part about this story, Lord, is that it's true, that you have come to us in your Son. This is what we celebrate every every Sunday, let alone during Advent. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us through this story that undoubtedly for many of us is familiar. We invite the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. We love you because you first loved us, and we pray in your Son's name, Father, and by your Spirit. Amen. You know, many years ago, 
in an interview uh, given by a journalist to a, a famed atheist named Bertrand Russell. The interviewer asked Mr. Russell, he said, Mr. Russell, I have a question. If, if one day when you die, you find yourself all of a sudden standing before God, you were wrong. And he looks at you and says, why didn't you believe? What would you say? To which Bertrand Russell replied, not enough evidence, God. Not enough evidence. You see, Bertrand Russell assumed that if there was a God, such as the one described in the Bible, then he he should reveal himself. He should make himself known in, in a way that we should expect, in a way that for him would count as, quote, evidence. He had this expectation of God. And, and it's easy for, for us, I presume most of us here, followers of Jesus, to, uh, to kind of scoff at a response like that, at an assumption like that, and to think, who are you to presume upon God? Who are you to to foist your expectations upon God. But this morning, as we look at this story, I want to humbly suggest that that we may have a little more in common with Mr. Russell than we think, that it's so easy for us to foist our expectations upon God and to expect for him to come to us in certain ways. But, But if we learn anything from this story... There's so much we could talk about. But if there's anything I want us to hear this morning, it's this one thing, that in this story, in the good news that we celebrate at Christmas, God comes to us in ways and in places we least expect. Now, this this story, as I mentioned, there's a lot there. Too much for us to comment on, uh, at least when it comes to the everything that's there. And it's familiar to us too, especially if you've seen Charlie Brown, right? When I, was, when I was preparing this message, I thought, you know, 21 verses, it's too long. Dr. Sands, you know, it's too long to read in one sitting. And so, you know, but if Charlie Brown can do it, then maybe, right? Uh, and so, so we, we're familiar with this story, the story of the birth of Jesus, and there's so much we could say. However, there are simply three things I want to draw our attention to this morning. Three contrasts. Because in many ways, this, this story is a story of contrasts. The author of this gospel, Luke, he's brilliant. And the way that he tells this true story is beautiful and And we could talk about the contrast, even just among the shepherds. They were terrified and then filled with joy. It was dark and then it was light. But but there are three other contrasts in this story I want to draw our attention to, each of which point to the good news that God comes to us. And I believe this morning he is coming to you in ways and in places we least expect. Contrast number one. In this story, what we find is that God doesn't come to Rome. He comes to Bethlehem. He doesn't come to Rome. He comes to Bethlehem. In verse one, 
we heard these words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, down to verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. And so here's Caesar Augustus on his throne in Rome, which was the political center of power in the known world at that time. And, and his power and authority was so great, he could speak, he could issue a decree, and it would happen. And so he decided, let's take a census. I want to know how many people there are in this empire so that we can make sure we're getting enough taxes. That was often not the only thing, but one of the main reasons why emperors like Augustus would issue a decree for a census. And, and so word goes out, and what are we told? Everyone went to their own towns to register. Now, let me hit the pause button here for a minute. If, if I were God, and let me say it's really, really good that I'm not. If I were God, though, and if I were to choose a place to come, a place to arrive, a place to reveal myself, it would probably be Rome. It would probably be Rome. I would probably show up. I'd have the Holy Family come. They'd get a special suite in the palace, right? And then, because after all, the Savior of the entire world, the true Savior of the entire world was being born. And then once, once the Savior had been born, I'd, I'd tap on Caesar's shoulder and say, okay, listen, this is big. We've got to get the word out. Okay, I want you to tap into the Roman propaganda machine. You know the channels of communication that you have, and I want you to tell the whole world. And we know that he could do that because he just did. He issued a decree that a census should be taken and everyone in the empire went to their own town to register. He knew how to get the word out. That would be the most efficient, the most productive way to spread the best news in the world. I think that would be a reasonable expectation upon God. Go to Rome. But he doesn't. He doesn't go to the center of power, geopolitical power. Instead, God comes to a small town about five miles outside of Jerusalem, a small town in an occupied nation, a small town that no one outside of that area, unless you were Jewish, would have even heard of. God did not come to Rome. He went to Bethlehem. Why? Now, we know all of the biblical reasons, why the spiritual reasons, why obviously for the people of God, Bethlehem was the city of David, incredibly significant history. And we also know from the prophets of old that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But if you're an outsider looking in, this really doesn't make any sense. We would expect something different. Right? And, and it's tempting to linger here in this one observation. We have to move on, but let me just say this. It would appear, it seems at the very least, that God prefers smaller personal encounters over larger public announcements. We see this all throughout the life of Jesus. Think of his resurrection before his ascension. Yes, he did appear to over 500 at one point, but by and large, almost every encounter Jesus has 
is an incredibly personal encounter. God seems to prefer personal encounters over public announcements. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? And again, we can't linger here, but I, I can't help but wonder. I wonder what that might mean for what God wants for you. God didn't come to Rome. He came to Bethlehem. God comes to us in ways and in places we least expect. That's contrast number one. Contrast number two in this story is that God did not reveal himself to priests in the temple, but rather to shepherds in the field. Now, after, after Caesar's decree, we find that Joseph and Mary, who's with child, they start making their way to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph is from. And they get there. There's no room, as you know. And so Jesus comes. He is born and he's placed in a manger. The Savior has arrived. And God's son has been born. And, and for any of you dads out there, you know that when you have a kid, you want the whole world to know. You're excited. And, and the question looms, as a proud father, God's son has just been born, where and to whom is he going to share this news? I think a good argument could be made that we could reasonably expect God to share this news with the priests in the temple. After all, the temple was the center of religious power and life among God's people. It was what later theologians would call in Latin the axis mundi, the, that place where heaven and earth interlocked and overlapped. It was that place where the thin veil that separated heaven and earth sometimes would disappear. The very power and glory of God dwelt in the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies. And, and we also know that throughout the history of God's people, it wasn't uncommon for people to have revelations from God in the temple. Think Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. Even in this very story in Luke, remember Zechariah? He had a revelation from God through the angel Gabriel. And what was he? A priest. Remember, priests, were their job was to mediate God's presence, his work, his wisdom to God's people. It would have made all the sense in the world for God just five miles away from where Jesus had been born to share the news, the incredible good news, the best news ever that he's here, the Messiah, the Lord. But rather than share this news at the center of religious power, rather than share this news at the, at the place where we might expect he does something different. In verse 8, we read this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. God did not reveal himself. He did not share this news with the priests in the temple, but the shepherds in the fields Curious. 
it's not what we would expect. I mean, we, we know that God has an affinity for shepherds, Psalm 23, right? Throughout the Old Testament, the, this imagery of shepherding is used to describe God's relationship with his people. There's something to that. But it's not what we might expect. God comes to us in ways we don't expect. And we can't linger here. We have to move on. But let me just say this. When we come here and gather for worship on Sundays, it is right, good, and appropriate to expect God to show up. In fact, I do every Sunday. And in some way, in some way, every time I come and gather with y'all, God speaks and he moves. And we should expect that. But let me say this. If we only expect God to speak and move one day a week in the morning, if we don't then go out from here as we are sent out, expecting to see and also seek God, then we are neglecting and we have forgotten something profound about who he is and how he works And that is that he comes to us and meets us in ways we least expect in your family, in your struggles with parenting, in your work and all of the dynamics at play, in your classroom, in your relationship with your neighbors. God comes to us and he meets us in ways we least expect. Which leads us to the third, and I think the the most beautiful contrast in this story, and that is that God has come to us not as an emperor, but as an infant. Caesar Augustus rose to power in about 27 BC, and by the time of Jesus' birth, he, everyone in the empire, everyone, if you had asked them who's in charge, who, who reigns as the undisputed Lord and King of the world? Who is the Savior of this world? They would say, well, Caesar Augustus, of course. He could speak and things would happen. He was in charge. And I can't, I can't help but at least wonder in my mind, you know, if I were God, and I... And I wanted to come and save the world. I wanted to show up in a way so that everyone looked at me and understood, hey, I am the creator of the universe. I breathe the stars into existence. I'd probably tap into a category that people already understood, someone that people could look to and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right? But God did not come as an emperor. He came as an infant. Listen to these words from the angel as as the angel spoke to the shepherds. The angel said to them, verse 10, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Let's pause there for a minute. Listen to this inscription that archaeologists have found describing Caesar Augustus, divine Caesar Augustus, son of a god, imperator of land and sea, 
the benefactor and savior of the whole world. This is how Caesar Augustus was described. Now, once again, listen to the angel's words. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Okay, if you hear the word savior and you're a citizen of the Roman Empire, you know who comes to mind, right? You know the image. How will we recognize this savior? That's the question. Well, this will be a sign to you, says the angel. This is how you know that the true savior of the world has shown up. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Do you see the contrast? Do you see how God has not come to us in an emperor, on a throne, in power, but rather as an infant in a manger in weakness? What does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about how he has come to us? At the very least, it tells us that whatever preconceived ideas we might have about God and what he thinks of us when he looks at us, he has come to us in love and gentleness. He's come to us in grace and mercy and vulnerability and weakness. And he invites us to come to him in the same way. Now, all of this comes down, all of these observations that point to this reality that God has come to us in ways we least expect begs the question, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with you? And here's what I'd say. I, I, I suspect that the way we often least expect God to come to us is in our pain and loss, in our own weakness, and in our own vulnerability. Those are the places, I think, the places where we hurt. Those are the places we least expect God to come honestly, because oftentimes those are the places where it seems like he's most absent. God, where are you in my addiction? I am stuck. I need help. We don't expect God in our failing marriage because it feels like he's the most absent there. We don't expect him in this financial hardship because, God, where are you? We don't expect him in the midst of this mental illness challenge that we're experiencing because it doesn't feel like he's there. And yet, hear me, if this story is true, if the gospel is true, then hear me when I say that God comes to us in ways and in places we least expect. I had a professor in college who was driving before I ever had him uh, as a professor, as a mentor. He, he was driving his car, uh, leaving an event, and in his car, he had his mother, his wife, and his four kids. As he was driving, a drunk driver veered into his lane, causing a head-on collision. As a result, my professor lost his mother, 
his wife, and his youngest daughter. Like that. I don't have a category in my mind or my heart to to comprehend what he must have gone through and what he must have experienced in the days, the weeks, the months, even the years that followed this horrendous loss. But what I do know is that he reached a point in time in the midst of his journey through grief where he made a decision. Either he could walk away from his relationship with God or he could dive in. And so he dove in and he brought everything with him, his confusion, his rage, his deep grief, everything. And he said, okay, God, here we go. You're going to meet me here. And God did. God met him in ways that are hard to explain, although he did try to explain it because he actually wrote a book. And, and do you know what the title of this, this is wild to me. He wrote a book about this tragedy, about his loss. And do you know what he titled the book? A Grace Disguised. A Grace Disguised. How in the world, how in the world can he come to a point to describe his journey as a grace Disguised. Now, now let me be clear about one thing. What he at no point would ever say is that the loss he experienced was good. No. It was evil. It wasn't good. And let me also be clear in saying that at no point would he say or has he ever said that, that he's gotten over his loss. That's not a thing. You don't, you don't get over that kind of loss. It's a terrible metaphor. And yet, what he goes to great pains to try to explain in this book is that in, in some way, that's hard to explain, God met him in the midst of his deepest pain. And he changed him. And he, he experienced God's grace in ways that would would leave him never the same. God comes to us in ways we least expect. And I, and I just want to leave you with two things this morning, two things. The first is this. As we read this story about a God who's come to us in Jesus, if you have never given your life to him, if you're, if you're here this morning and, and you've never actually responded to the good news of God's grace, if you've never said yes to Jesus, and in your heart, you, you for a while, you've, you feel God's pull, and you know that he's calling you, I want to invite you to respond this morning to a God who comes to us in ways we least expect, who comes to us in the midst of our pain and our brokenness and our sin and our insecurity and our shame. I want to invite you to say yes to him, to surrender your life to him, to follow him. And if, if that's you, I would love to talk to you after the service this morning. And, and if you're here this morning and, and maybe you're a follower of Jesus, and uh, let, me, let me leave you with this. 
In what ways or in what places might God be inviting you to meet with him? It'll likely be unexpected. It may be painful. It may be the thing that you're avoiding. And yet, it's the place where God wants to come and says, come, meet me here. Sit with me. I have grace for you. I want to bring healing and hope and life. I want to come to you just as I have to the whole world in ways that you least expect. What might it look like for you to respond to an invitation like that, a question like that? In what ways and in what places, unexpected, might God be inviting you to meet with him? Pray with me. Father, we pause now in the midst of this Advent season and we, we give thanks. We thank you that you have come to us in your son. You've not, you didn't come to Rome. You came to Bethlehem. You didn't reveal yourself to shepherds in the field, but rather uh, to priests in the temple, but shepherds in the field. God, you did not come as an emperor on his throne in power, but rather as an infant in a manger in the weakness. And you invite us now to meet with you. You invite us now to an encounter. So stir our hearts to faith. Remind us of your love and your grace. Help us to not shy away from those parts of our lives that if we're honest, are the places where you want to meet with us so you can unleash your grace and your healing. Help us to trust you and to follow you and to take whatever step we need to. As your disciples, Jesus, we, we love you because you first loved us. And Father, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, whose birth we celebrate in this season. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, Amen.